couples, you can now go out to children's worship. Miss Rhonda will meet you there in the foyer. For the rest of you, I want to invite you to find your Bibles and in your sermon notes and your bulletin and take them out. And you can find Philippians if you want to. Philippians. By the way, if you're ever having a hard time figuring out those those books, those letters of of Paul after he writes first and second Corinthians, and then then there's this uh, then there's this series of of books that are about four to six chapters long, um, and uh, and and we we kind of forget which which does it go? What's the order of these? And and let me tell you an acronym that will help you remember them. Can you say this after me? Eat, uh, uh, go eat potato chips now. Or, 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 no, or go eat potato chips. Just go eat potato chips. Can you say that? Go eat potato chips. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. All you, all of you who are who are struggling with your with your figuring out what where the book is, or if you're the Awana leader and you're trying to get it to help your kids in Awana, the Sparkies, go eat potato chips. And you'll have it. So right now we're in potato. In Philippians, okay. Philippians. Um, you ever have one of those awkward moments when you say something and you, you probably, you know, as soon as you say it or pretty quick afterwards, you just want to crawl in a hole and, 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 and pretend like nothing ever happened? Maybe you, maybe you, you commented to somebody and said, you know, you're just, you're just, you know, you get introduced somebody you know, and you get introduced to to a relative of theirs, or maybe, and you say, you know, you have you have such a such a, a a wonderful daughter there, only to find out that she's older than the lady you're complimenting, and it's her it's her sister, and you're thinking, oh, how do I get that back? There's no way to redeem that. Uh, you know, those, those kinds of things happen to all of us, don't they? Where you, where you say it and you realize, oh, this is, this is just bad. Um, and we're just kind of stuck on how to respond. And, and, you know, the interesting thing is that that happens to us in prayer a lot of times, doesn't it? People, people aren't sure necessarily the right way to pray or what the right words are to use. And there are moments in our lives when we want to pray for someone, but we really don't know how to pray for them. Right? Those, those things happen. Um, you know, maybe you've prayed for two people maybe to get together. They're, maybe you know they're in church together or, you know, you see them in church around the church or, or they're, Christian, they're, they're friends you have that are, that are Christians maybe. And, and uh, you think maybe they would make a good couple and they're, they're both lonely and maybe they'll get together and you begin to pray about that. But then you start to think, boy, but if I pray about that, what happens if they do get together and it's a disaster? And then somehow it's my fault because I prayed for him to do that. Well, praise God, number one, he, call, he holds veto power over our prayers. Um, and, and so that's, that's part of it. And, and, uh, and, and then also we just got to get past that fear factor. But, but I believe one of the reasons people don't pray is because they don't know the power that's found in prayer uh, in calling on God to act. In fact, I was thinking about who are the most who are the most fervent prayers that I know uh, that you could that you could listen to and, and really find out who has this direct line with God and you know 
that, that God is hearing them, and, you're, and you could follow their example. And so um, let, me, let me give you some examples that children pray, because I, I, I have this belief that children are the most fervent and, 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 and authentic prayers that we have in our society. They're, they're, they're just not abashed. They're, they're not afraid to talk to God, and they're not, they're not worried about whether I got it right. They just want to tell God about what's going on in their lives. And so you have, you have prayers like, please send a new baby for Mommy. The new baby you sent last week cries too much. That's real. That's honest. Um, you know, uh, God, who'd you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I really want to know. <laughs> and that's by Jimmy, <laughs> so you can understand why. Um, God, how many angels are there in heaven? I'd like to be the first person in my class to know the answer. Uh, dear God, I need a raise of my allowance. Could you have one of your angels let my father know that? Um, David... Uh, no, David, uh, Angela said this. She said, this is my prayer. Could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. But I like one, one story about a grandfather who, who had his grandchildren staying over, and he heard, as he was walking down the hall, and he heard, he heard his granddaughter one night uh, in, her, in her bedroom, in the, in, in the bedroom, and she was talking, and, and he stopped to listen, and, and very reverently, she was going through the alphabet. A, B, C. And, and he, he, he listened to it. She got through the alphabet. And he said, I've I got to find out what she's doing. Finally, when she got done, she walked in and he said, Sweetheart, he said, I heard you saying the alphabet. What were you doing? And she said, I was talking to God. I was praying. And all she'd done is give the alphabet from A to Z. And he said, what do you mean? I thought you were just talk, telling the alphabet. And she said, yeah. She said, I needed to talk to God, and, and I didn't really know exactly what I should say, so I just gave him the letters, and I figured he put them all together the right way because he already knows what I need. That's real. God's going to answer if I'll talk. We're, we're in the second week of a series I'm calling Begin. The first steps to the journey of faith. That's what we're talking about here for, for last week and today and, and for four more Sundays afterwards at least. We're talking about how we begin in this journey of faith. What are the things that we need to know? What are the things that, that we need to be doing? Last week as we began, begin, we talked about real faith. We talked about what it means to have real faith and and, and how that impacts our lives. Today, we're going to go a step further in this journey of discipleship, and, and we're going to discover the key to, uh, to effective prayer. How do, we, how do we start to pray like these kids? How do we pray what's real and what God really desires to hear from us without any pretense? And just to say, God, we believe in you. We believe who you are. We believe you care about us, that you love us in every way, that you are our Father. And so we're just going to bring to you our request, and we're going to bring them on behalf of other people. Um, and we're going to bring them on behalf of ourselves. And so that's where we're at. We're in Philippians, that, that one that starts with potato. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 today, verses 9 to 11. And I'm going to read this today uh, with you out of the New American Standard uh, Version of the Bible. But I want you to follow or just listen 
uh, and you can follow along in your notes there if you want to, as we look at, at just these three verses. This is what Paul wrote. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, what I want to do is focus on these last few minutes we have on three, these three simple verses where Paul shares with us his prayers for these believers who are in the region of Philippi. And he says, I want to, in the city of Philippi, I, want to, I just want to encourage you, he says, and so by doing that, I'm going to, I'm going to be praying for you. And, and really what he does is he, prayers, he, he prays four very specific prayers. Uh, and so I want to look at those with you, four specific prayers for, for you to pray. And these are prayers that God always answers. <laughs> That's the nice thing about it. We know he's going to answer. He's, he, he wants to answer these prayers in your life and in the life of other people. So these are four things that you need to pray. So, so if you want to know how to pray for people, here's this list. This is a good list of, of things that you need to be praying uh, for other people. Um, and these are things you should be praying for your kids. Uh, you should be praying, um, you know, uh, some for, for, the, for the people that you know. You need to be praying for them. Uh, and if you want to know how people should be praying for you, uh, here's the list. And if you want to know what God is trying to do in your life all the time, uh, it's pretty much what's on this list. And if you want to know how to pray for your pastor, these are four prayers you can pray for me. All right? These are things that we all need that God wants to answer. So let's begin, first of all, with prayer number one. Prayer number one, Paul says, is that your love would be wise. He says, I want your love to be wise. Again, in verse 9, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Uh, that's, that's the best kind of love. It's a love that's rooted in wisdom and discernment. Um, how many people are parents? Uh, and, you know, that you, you, you got kids, whether they're young, middle-aged, or old, whatever. Raise your hand for just a moment. Uh, most of us in here are, are parents. We, we have kids. And, um, and, you know, these are people that we need to be praying for. The kids, well, you need to pray for the parents. You say, God, you know, I'm a parent. I know what they're going through. And you need to pray for each other. You need to be praying for that love to be full of wisdom for them, to have discernment. How many are you are parents of teenagers right now? A couple of you, I think, have teenagers still in the home. Uh, those of you who are parents of teenagers, the rest of us, we need to pray with fasting for them uh, because it's even harder right now uh, for them. Um, and, you know, how many parents have ever heard this? Mom or dad, if you loved me, you'd give me what I want or you'd let me do it, right? You've heard that? If you really loved me, this is what you'd let me do. How many of you bought into that nonsense as parents? Hopefully none of you did, because in all likelihood, what they were asking about at that time wasn't necessarily something that was good for them, right? That usually comes right after, I want to do something that's really bad for me, but if you loved me, you'd let me do it, or you'd give it to me. And, and, and so parents, you know, we understand that dilemma, 
Uh, because sometimes the loving thing that we can do is to hurt our kids at that moment and say, no, no way, Jose, you're not getting that. You're not doing that. And, and so, so we have to have some wisdom to be parents. And, and uh, we see that, uh, that sometimes that the most loving thing that we can do is to, to say no. And that's the kind of love Paul is referring to here. It's, it's not this sentimental kind of love. It's not the kind of love that teenagers get for each other that says, well, I feel a feeling that I never felt before, and so it must be love. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, he's talking about a mature love. It's a love that's wise and is discerning. Uh, because without wisdom, love doesn't know how to express itself. It just doesn't. It, it takes some wisdom to know what to do. I read a story about a lady named Carrie the other day. Carrie is a pastor's wife, um, and her husband and, and her minister somewhere in Florida, I think is where it was. And anyway, she was, uh, her husband was writing about it, because I don't think she really cared anybody to know this, but he apparently shared with the whole world. But uh, uh, they had some, his wife is not real tech savvy, She's not all into to, to Facebook and Twittering and, and, and texting and all that kind of thing. But, but she hears um, some of the acronyms and, and some of the things that are used in, in, the, in the cyber world to, for people to communicate. And, and she really, you know, she doesn't want to do it, but she thinks she needs to know a little bit about that apparently and, and try. And so uh, he wrote that a couple of years ago, uh, some very close friends of their family uh, had a family member who died. And, and it had been posted on Facebook. And so, so his wife, Carrie, decided one of the things to do as a good friend would be to send them a card and, and, con, and convey their condolences and their love. And so uh, she, she just sent a card, and she said, sorry for your love, and then, period, and then in capital, three capital letters, she put LOL. Yeah, and some of you are thinking... What's the deal? And some of you are laughing and you're saying, see, because not everybody's tech savvy. Her husband found out about that, unfortunately, after they had mailed it. And he said to his wife, he said, Carrie, he said, why did you do that? And she said, because I wanted them to know how much we cared about them. And he said, he said, well, what do you think LOL stands for? And she says, lots of love. He said, what you essentially did was, we're sorry for the loss in your family, ha, 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 because it means laugh out loud. Without wisdom, it's really hard to communicate love, isn't it? it can, it's one of those things where you, now you think you want to call, crawl in a hole. And, and he says that since that time, his wife has become a little more wise in the lingo of social media and... And in fact, after a couple of years, those family friends are starting to talk to them again a little bit. Um, you know, uh, in Proverbs, the Solomon said this in, in Proverbs 19.8. He said, he who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who cherishes understanding prospers. It's important to have wisdom. I remember one time when I was a youth pastor. Uh, this is many years ago. This is somewhere back in the late 1970s. And I was, I was working at a church. Uh, ministering in a church down in Riverside, California, and our church was on a main thoroughfare through town, and so we got a lot of people walking in the door, just walking in the door wanting help, uh, a lot of homeless people and, and, and others, and we wanted to help them, we really did, and so what we did was we had, 
we'd said, we're not going to give money to, to people who come in just asking for it that we don't know. But we are going to meet their needs. If they're hungry, we'll take care of it. And, and so about a, a half a mile away, there was a, there was a it, it's like a Denny's. It was some other brand. But it was a, that type of a restaurant. And we had worked out a deal with them that we would, call, we would send people down there. We would call ahead. And what we would do is we would say, when they come in, you let them order anything they want to eat that's on your menu. And then we'll come in and we'll pay for it later that day. You just, you just, you just feed them. And I remember one day this guy came in, and uh, then the secretary called me up to her office, and he was there, and he wanted, he said, I'm, I'm hungry, I want to eat. And I said, well, brother, that's great. He said, and I told him where to go, and he said, I don't want that. I said, well, they're going to feed you. you. You order anything on the menu you want, as much as you want, and we'll, we're going to pay for it, and you can eat to your full. And he, said that, and he started cussing, and he started abusing us because he wanted cash, because he didn't want to eat at all. He wanted to do drugs or alcohol. And, you know, in wisdom told me that in love, I would have been, I would have been feeding his drug habit or his alcohol habit had I given him cash. And so the wisdom part of love said, we'll take you to the restaurant and you can eat all you want, but we're not giving you cash. And that's what Paul is talking about here. A guy named Tom had a son, and this is a true story, that uh, also that, uh, that when, he was, when his son was elementary school age, wanted a toy that... That was a little bit expensive. He didn't have the money to pay for it. And, and he said, Dad, I really want this toy. He said, Dad, if you'll give it to me, I'll pay you back. I'll earn the money, and I'll pay you back for it. And the dad said, okay. So they went and they bought this, the toy. And I think that it meant that, that his son probably owed him about $15. And, um, and, but the son never paid it back. It, it, you know, he's a kid. He decided, I don't need to do that. I, I had the toy. That's all I wanted. And, and so I had no urgency to pay my dad back. One day, uh, a Saturday came along. Dad hadn't been paid back his fifteen dollars. Um, he he picked up the toy and he took it to a yard sale and he sold it at a yard sale and got his fifteen dollars back. What he ended up doing was he took his son to the the course and introduction to foreclosure, didn't he? And he said that was that was hard. That was a hard lesson for his son to to learn. But today that son is married. He has two kids and he's debt free. Uh, and, and he thanks his father because his dad was wise enough to teach him that principle that we find in Psalm 37 that says, the wicked borrow and do not repay. And so he says, that was the best thing that ever happened. And guess what? God is parenting you and me in exactly the same way. I have a father. He knows my name. Uh, he'll never leave me. Uh, and, he, and he knows wherever I'm going to go. He knows all those things. And he is teaching me. He's teaching us. And he's teaching us the lessons that we need to be the people that he is calling us to be. And he's teaching us what it means to follow Jesus and to walk with him. And that begins with a love that is wise and discerning. And so if God is showing us that kind of love, our prayer should be, God, let my love be wise and discerning. Let my, my kids grow to be wise and discerning in their love. Let my, my, my fellow church members be wise and discerning in their love. Secondly, Paul says, let your decisions, uh, that you pray that your decisions would be excellent. Prayer number two, pray that your decisions would be excellent. 
He says this again, starting in verse 9, but then jumping to verse 10. He says, And this I pray, that you may approve the things that are excellent. The phrasing that Paul uses goes beyond simply knowing right from wrong. I want you to, to look at that verse again, and I want you to underline the word approve. That word approve um, doesn't mean, okay, I gave it, you know, that's a good word. Uh, in Greek, uh, it's dokimazo, and it means it was a word that was used to describe a person who tested coins to see their genuineness. I mean, you know, people counterfeit now, they've been counterfeiting ever since there were coins. And so there were those who would test it and make sure that it was made out of gold or it was made out of silver or whatever, whatever it was supposed to be made out of so that they knew that there was value to it. And that's the phrase that Paul uses here. Pray that, that there would be authenticity, that there would be value, uh, that, you would, that you would value those things that are excellent. He says he prays that the believers can approve or test what is excellent. And Paul is praying that for these believers um, so that they can tell the difference between good and excellent. I want you to hear it again. He's saying, I want you to know the difference between good and excellent. We don't need a lot of help for the most part figuring out what the difference is between good and bad, do we? If you were to come to me and say, oh, pastor, I'm trying to know God's will for my life. I'm trying to decide, should I join the Peace Corps or should I become a bank robber here in Stockton? Well, duh, that's not a hard one. There's good and there's bad. But what happens when they're both good? What happens when you're trying to know what God wants you to do and they're both good choices? Now the difference is between what is the good choice and what is the excellent choice that God wants you to make. And Paul, that's what he's talking about. He's saying, how do you know? How? And so you pray about that. He said, that's where your prayer comes in. What is the difference between good and excellent? What is it that God wants you to do? Proverbs 3 um, Solomon gives us some help. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and what will He do? He will make your path straight. So how do you know God in all of His ways? How do I know God in all of my ways? So, so I, I have to stop and remember when I was a kid. I think back to when I was a kid. And there were times when, when, my, when my cousins or, my, or my, my friends in the neighborhood would say, Terrell, ask your mom or dad if you can do this with us. And I would just tell them, no. And they, and they say, what do you mean? Just go ask them. And I'd say, no. And they said, why not? i say, because I know my mom and dad, and I already know they're going to say no. And so I'm just going to save them the say, me the hassle and the aggravation of asking them and, and, and not worry about them getting upset with me for coming again uh, for that, that type of a question because I know their heart. I know them. They love me and I love them and I know them because I spent time with them. And, and the best way that you learn how God will work in the present is to see how he has worked in the past. I know how my mom and dad answered that question before. About 20 times I've asked them, and it's always been the same answer. I know how God answers because I look at how he's answered in the past. I know what he's done in the past. I look at his word, and I see how he's worked consistently without changing 
for, for centuries on end. I know what he says he's going to do. I know how he works. And that's why daily Bible reading is so important. Next week, we're going to talk about how do you get in the Word? How do you use the Word? But you've got to do that. They work in conjunction. If I want to pray effectively, I better know the Word. I know what God does because I know the Word. Romans 12, Paul said it this way, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Paul says that when we submit ourselves to God, that is that when we get in line with what we already know God wants us to do, then God's will becomes clear. His good and pleasing and perfect will, what is excellent, that becomes clear. And so that's why he says, in all of your ways, in everything about you, you begin to focus on who God is and to bring your, your life in, in conformity with that. So it's not just that area where we're praying about, because that would be the easy thing, wouldn't it? Well, I need to know what's good or excellent, so I'll just pray about it. I'll just focus on that. What Paul says is, as you're praying for that, first of all, make sure that every area you already know about that you're supposed to be doing is in conformity with God's will. What he's already told you to do. You get your life in conformity with that, and then as you pray, the excellent will be revealed. The choice that you need to make or the choices will come at that point. And so I have to ask God, am I already doing in my life, those things that you've already told me to do so that I can hear your voice when you share the new things. Prayer number three, Paul shares in these three short verses, is that your faith would be real. So we just preached, that was the title of my sermon last week, <laughs> Real Faith. And, and I don't want to belabor that. Uh, you, can, you can listen to it online or, or get a CD or whatever, but, um, but it, that's part of what he says here. You, you, you pray about your faith, that it's going to be a real thing. Again, starting in verse 9 and then finishing verse 10, it says, And this I pray, that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Underlying, to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Do you know how it is that faith grows? How, we talk about it all the time, our faith, and, and is it real faith? Is it growing faith? How in the world does faith grow? You know, it grows, it grows when you're intentional about growth. When you decide, I want my faith to grow, and you begin to do those things that will cause then faith to grow, it does grow. Every area of your life that that you intentionally invest in grows, whether it's your waistline or whatever it might be, right? It, it just happens that way. And, and few things, few good things I might want to preface that with, I guess I should say, uh, happen by accident. Instead, it's only when we are intentional um, about what we want to see happen that it begins to happen. That's why I tell couples um, who are struggling uh, with their marriage to, if you want your marriage to, to stay fresh and vibrant and you want it to last, then, 
then you need to do the things and keep doing the things that you did when you were falling in love. Because those are the things that will then keep your love growing for each other. You know, falling in love seems to be kind of easy, doesn't it? People fall in love even with people they don't know. Any of you have a 13 or 14-year-old daughter probably know that she's in love with Justin Bieber. And that's the worst thing in the world that could happen right now. But they don't know him, but they love him. But it's making that love stay vibrant is the tricky part. Because it has very little to do with feelings, and it has everything to do with our actions and our intentionality. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. We stay close to God when we're intentional about developing that relationship with him. And so Paul's prayer is that our faith would be sincere and would be blameless. And and sincere means pure or literally without hypocrisy. Um, In James 3.17 Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. That's the kind of faith people are expecting in Christians. In fact, last week, I said that I I gave an incomplete sentence, and I let you finish it, and you knew what it was. The church is full of hypocrites, right? That's what a lot of people say. They say, well, the church is just full of hypocrites. And and, um, and that's because uh, somehow we've believed a lie. We've believed as Christians uh, too often that, that our faith is really a Sunday morning activity. And that's pretty much all it has to be. You know, we believe that, but you know, people who aren't Christians... People who are not in church don't believe that. People who are not in church understand that what you say you believe ought to make a difference on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And when it doesn't make a difference on those days, they don't care what you say you believe on Sunday. Because it's not sincere. Sincere faith, sincere belief, has to do with every day of the week. It has to do with 24-7. It has to do with all the decisions we make. It has to do with everything that we're doing. That's what people are looking for. That's what Paul is saying that we need to be praying about, not just Sunday morning worship. It is about who we are every day of the week. And if you want people that you love to come to Jesus, then it begins with your walk. Get that? It begins with how you walk whether they're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You can try and push it off on somebody else, but it's about you. It's about your faith being real. And then one more prayer very quickly. Prayer number four, Paul shares, is that your life would be fruitful. That your life would be fruitful. Again, he starts in verse 9, but this time finishes in verse 11. And this I pray, that you, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Underline having been filled with the fruit of righteousness there in that verse. You want your life to be fruitful, for your life is blessed and is a blessing to others. That's what he's talking about. God, make my life blessed, make my life a blessing at the same time. 
And if you want your life to be fruitful, then Paul would say you need to bloom where you are planted. He gets that from David. David in Psalm 1-3 said, He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. When Paul is writing this in Philippians, where is he at? He's under house arrest. He is imprisoned in Rome. I don't think that, that that was a place where he really wanted to be, but even though he was where he didn't want to be, he was still bearing fruit. You know what's amazing about fruit bearing? It's, it's not just about you when you bear fruit. It, it just isn't. Uh, when you're really bearing fruit, you're blessing everyone around you. You're blessing people that you don't even know. It just happens. Um, you know, we just came to an end of last year, which brought us to an end of the, of the, the, the Fuji persimmon season. Uh, Barb and I, when we bought our house three years ago, had two Fuji persimmon trees. We never even heard of those before we moved here. And uh, had two trees. And the um, first year we were here, we had about two zillion Fuji persimmons. And we realized they're okay, but we don't like them all that well. But they're pretty trees when they're growing. So the first year, we, after the first year, we took one out. thought, well, we can deal with one anyway. And, uh, and then this year, we still had like about 300 Fuji persimmons on one tree. And, and, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do with all these Fuji persimmons? And then God said, Betty is a Fuji persimmon eating machine over there. She loves those, right? So, man, I... I I fed her all kinds of Fuji persimmons. But it's not just Fuji persimmons that we also had. We also had two other trees that I had no clue what they were. I thought at first they were, I don't know, kumquats, loquats, tangerines. I don't know what they were. Uh, but I just know that one of them is about 30 feet tall. And, and, and it turns out these rascals are calamansi trees. I took this picture yesterday morning or late morning at our house. That's about a 30-foot tree. Um, and it's, and it's filled with calamansi fruit. And, uh, and I took another picture that just is about a five-foot little section of one of the branches. I don't know if you can see it, how well you can see it. But there's a whole bunch of this fruit right here. That's, that's, all the, that's how big they get. And, and they're interesting things. They are South, they're, they're Southeast Asian uh, fruit that, um, that if you're not a Southeast Asian, you probably don't like. Um, they are as bitter as the day is long. They never get unbitter. God made them that way. They're like some Baptists I know. They're just bitter all the time, you know, and they're just bitter. And, and I, you know, for the life of me, I have no idea why you would want these things. I can eat about four or five a year, and that's about it. But I had two trees that never stopped having them. For three years, there's never a time I haven't had these things on those trees. People, people stop, knock on my door, and they'll say, would you like to sell some? I said, I'll sell you the whole tree if you want it. Can you dig it out? You know, and uh, you know, if, if in Filipino culture, I get a lot of Filipinos that knock on my door. Um, they, they squeeze these for, they're very juicy. They squeeze them for a, a, a drink, a juice. I'm thinking, you've got to have about 85 trees of this stuff to get enough to drink. There's enough of it. 
they freeze them and just whole like that, put them in water or other things for ice, you know, to, to flavor. Uh, they make a, they make some kinds of sauces when they're cooking and stuff like that with them. Uh, but they're interesting in that that um, I you know I can't contain them. There's just so many of them. Um, sometimes I have people in the back of our because they hang over the wall on the street and and people will pick them. And I think God bless you. You know, knock my door. I'll let you come in the yard and you can pick them easier. And uh, you know, and I've tried the the you picky, you know, John's you picky farms. Well, that always turns out to me picky it, and they don't, they don't, you know, and, and bring them. But um, that's what they are. They're calamansi. And in fact, today I probably have enough for all of you to have one if you want to. And I'm going to hand you one on the way out. There you go. So there's enough of them there. Um, but you know, isn't that what we want, though? Not not calamansi, but maybe that's what you want too. I don't know, but. But too often, we're praying for God to meet our needs. And God says, not only am I going to meet your needs, because my needs would be like about half of this bag or less for a whole year. This was five minutes of picking them in that little place where I took the picture. And it didn't do anything to how many of them were on the tree, right? Mark was out there when I was doing it. There's still just as many, it looks like. There must be... A thousand of them on that tree right now. I just go wait for them to fall off, and then that's what will happen. Um, I can tell you what God's desire and prayer for you is. His desire is that you would be so fruitful that you would not only meet your needs, but that you would be a blessing to others. He says, I want to pour into you my blessing." So that you're like that calamansi tree that no one family could ever consume all of. And that you're just looking for places to give it away. And people are being blessed that you don't even know are coming by and taking some. But that's what it means to be fruitful. That's what God is looking for. And, and, if, and if you want to live like a Fuji persimmon, calamansi kind of Christian life, then... then then that life is going to be a blessing to people who are around you. And that's what your prayer needs to be. It's a life that lifts up others in a world where, where we pull everyone down. It's a life that encourages other people in a world where sarcasm is the national language. Uh, and so, so how do you live that kind of faithful and fruitful life? Then the way you do it is you begin to use your words wisely. You use your, your words to build people up. Uh, anyone can tear somebody down. That's easy. The hard work is that you, you say, I'm going to only use words that build people up, that encourage them, that, 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 that help them. And, and it takes gifting to, to build that kind of something in your life. And so you begin to make, make a choice to, to hold your stuff, your things, with an open hand realizing that, God, maybe what you're doing is you're pouring blessing and stuff into my hand because it's not even for me. It's for somebody else. And that's okay. I'm, I'm good with that, God. Let my life be fruitful. If that means that I'm just a, a conduit of your blessing into somebody else's life, then that's great because that blesses me by blessing them at the same time. And, and sometimes we plant because we want something for ourselves, but in the process we, we discover that really 
it was about blessing somebody else, and, and we, are, we are more than blessed when that happens. And maybe, like Paul, you feel like you're in prison today. Maybe, maybe, it's, a, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's not your marriage. Maybe you're, you're single. And, and, and either way, it's feeling like a prison. And, and maybe it's a financial bind that you're in, and that's feeling like a prison in your life. And, and, um, and you know, I, I want you to... I want to just share a verse with you today. It's, it's the bottom of your sermon notes um, on the back side there. It is the memory verse for this week. And I want you to work on this verse. Uh, it's found in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Nehemiah said, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you don't feel blessed, you've got to understand God is still blessing. And he will continue to bless you. And his joy will be your strength. And so I want you to memorize that this week. You need to make that a verse that is always in the forefront of your mind. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You don't have to live a defeated life. You don't have to live a life that, that feels like you're living on, on, on borrowed crumbs of, of somebody else's joy. You have a joy that only God can give to you. And you don't have to let your external circumstances dictate how you're going to feel inside. Um, you don't have to. You you, you don't have to, to to give in to that because your joy comes uh, from God's life in you. And you don't have to. You don't. You, or you can you can learn God's plan for you involves challenges at times, and that's certainly true. But God's joy is not is not based on the challenges. In fact, he, he never wastes a challenge. You realize that God never wastes a challenge. He never wastes a hurt in your life to, to grow you and to bring joy to you so that your life can be fruitful and minister to others. That's his plan for you. And so Paul says, pray that your life would be fruitful because God wants to work in your life and he wants to bless your life because he's a good father. Because he loves us. We have to decide, am I ready for that? Am I in a place where my father can touch my life in ways that will make a difference? Let's pray.